You're listening to the Long's Chapel Weekly Message Podcast, available Sundays at 5 o'clock p.m. If you would like to connect to Long's Chapel or keep up with all events happening at Long's Chapel Church, connect with us via Instagram, Facebook, or on our church website, longschapel.com. Here at Long's Chapel, we believe in worshiping and serving God by reaching people and growing together as passionate followers of Jesus Christ, because all people matter to God. This week's message comes from our lead pastor, Reverend Chris Westmoreland. Excited about um, getting to continue a conversation that we began several weeks ago on uh, what does it mean to play like a champion and what does it mean to find ourselves, uh, find something of ourselves in the story that we find in 1 Samuel about uh, David and Goliath. We sung about that. We celebrate our praise team. Would you guys help me to do that? Man, what a way to lead us this morning. Woo! Um, Woo! For those that are on the stream, I hope you're having as impactful a worship experience um, as like I and most of us in the room are. Um, I am hoping that the spirit that is felt here is translating there, and um, we are grateful that, that you're joining us. And so uh, I want to kind of begin the sermon with a quote, and then we're going to uh, kind of get into the scripture a bit and just kind of walk down uh, a part of the story where I left you with a little bit of a cliffhanger uh, last week. And for those that haven't um, been a part of the series thus far, it's okay because I'm going to uh, update you and kind of get you caught up, so no worries at all. Um, But excited uh, about running into this quote this week, which has really made me think. It's from um, um, uh, Gotha, I believe is how we would say it, Uh, German philosopher, uh, lived in the 1700s, 1800s. But here's the quote, few people have the imagination for reality. I want to say it again. Few people have the imagination for reality. Few people have the imagination for reality. I'm thinking like, like looking back, like if folks are evaluating 25, 50 years out and looking back at our time and this particular age, I think one of the kind of criticisms will be uh, kind of the shocking, um, shockingly graphic nature of like how graphic our fiction um, has been, our storytelling has been, from our novels to our Netflix to our, to our video games to just all kinds of th- uh, things kind of wrapped up in that world. Um, but I want you to think with me for just a minute about if you like ever noticed, right, that there are some shockingly surprising things that are actually like, like really seriously happen, really seriously happen and actually kind of poke at our imagination that are actually nonfiction. They're actually grounded in reality. Like reality can, can certainly stretch our imagination, maybe in a way that fiction uh, kind of can't. And so some silly, and I wanted to make sure there were kid-friendly examples um, of, of just kind of this very thing are, are this. Number one, um, did you know, all of this stuff is true, by the way, uh, did you know that ketchup used to be used as medicine? I, I did not know that. And you can Google it later if you want to know more. But anyway, did, did you know that sloths can hold their breath longer than dolphins? You guys are either really bored by that fact <laughs> because you're saying like, Chris, I know you wanted to teach us something we didn't know, but I, you just taught me something I didn't know, but I didn't really care to know it. Like, that's okay. That's okay. It gets better. Uh, I don't know if you've been following like Australia and the Women's World Cup and like Australia still playing in their own um, kind of um, World Cup that they're hosting. It's pretty cool. But I ran across this stat this week. Australia, the nation of Australia is wider than the moon. Y'all still are not impressed. Okay. All right. <laughs> So um, anyway, like, all right, this one's going to get you. This one's going to get you. Did you know that rats will laugh out loud if you tickle them? (laughs) 
Has anybody tried that? Because I would put up some goods on making sure that, that you get celebrated if, if that happens to be the case. Um, did you know this? Again, again, thinking about reality and thinking about things that like our imagination just might not be able to hold. Like rat, rats laughing is not really, like I see them laughing as they like carry off like a whole block of mountain cheese that I just bought, right? I mean, I see that, but, but, but did you know this? Did you know that your nose is the most constantly visible thing to your eyes, which of course are driven by your brain, but there's this feature in your brain that is constantly, it never stops, it's constantly responsible for hiding your nose because if it didn't, then you literally, every single moment that your eyes were open, you couldn't see past your own nose. <laughs> see, you guys are catching on now, see? Reality is some interesting stuff, man. Oh my gosh. Did you know that you have gold in your body? Did you know you have gold in your body? True story. You have 0.02 milligrams, which I'm guessing is pretty small, but it does exist, um, 0.02 milligrams of gold, mostly in your blood. And so you're worth more than you thought, and you didn't even know that. See, all kinds of things you're learning at Long's Chapel today. I'm excited to be able to, bear, to be the bearer of this knowledge. Uh, last example was one that I picked up actually from a podcast this week. It's still kid-friendly, um, but it's a podcast I listen to pretty regularly. It's called Marketplace. Um, and did you know that... Um, you know when you're registering for something online? You're doing that on your phone or on your computer. And do you know when you get to that place where they want you to be able to verify that you're a human and that you're not a computer? And then it comes up with this like, I'm gonna call it like, this is what I think about, the Brady Bunch screen. Do you know what I'm talking about? That has like the nine little compartments that no matter how much I blow them up, I still actually can't see where the crosswalk is. Uh, do you guys have this experience as well? So like instead of, you know, Cindy and Marsha and Greg and Bobby and, you know, and the Bradys, like you're supposed to click the boxes like with all the stoplights if you're a human and not a bot. So like, you know, it could be a crosswalk, it could be a traffic sign. Uh, guess what? This is what I learned on that podcast this week. It was just a well-grounded couple of minutes to be able to learn this particular fact. Guess what? That the average human picks the right answers to those options 50 to 80% of the time. <laughs> 50 to 80% of the time, you rightfully prove that you're human. <laughs> the average computer bot picks the right answer 80 to 100% of the time. <laughs> cannot make this stuff up. And here's the kicker. The bots and the computers do it almost instantaneously where it takes us a while not to be able to figure out what they're asking us to do, right? Like, isn't that weird? Isn't that crazy? And like funny and predictable that a computer can predict being a human better than a human can like, you know, verify that it's a human being most of the time. You see what I mean? Like few people have the imagination for reality. Isn't it interesting though, sometimes what we look at like in life or even in the scriptures, what we look at and we're like, man, that is so far-fetched. That is just impossible. Like that can't possibly be. And, and, and yet, right, few people have the imagination to actually be able to get our head and our heart around reality. Well, I, I think that does say something to us, um, even about like David's story that we've been kind of following. There are outlandish parts of this story. Uh, there just are. Like one of them, I'm going to stop. And we're going to extend the series just one extra week because there's part of the very end of the story that I just want to be able to make a sermon, a uh, whole sermon out of. But like this amazing story, right? Like that we almost couldn't make up 
we almost couldn't make it up, that God changed course, moved away from a king who was becoming incredibly fearful, who cared more about pleasing people than pleasing God, to be able to kind of go all in on a 10 to 15-year-old shepherd boy who, um, like, is the youngest of his family and isn't even thought enough that when the like king comes to to dinner like he's not even thought enough to pull out of the fields to be able to be part of that celebration until until he's asked for he plays the harp um, he has a remarkable heart for worship he tends sheep and he seems to trust the power of the living God because on that hillside he's learned to trust the power of the living God. So last week we like left off with David visiting his older brothers. He's visiting them on the battlefield. Uh, you know, so far the battle has been a war of words. It hasn't actually been much battle. Israelites are being challenged with following Philistine battle protocol, which they're not very used to. And there's some actual like real reasonableness to this particular uh, battle protocol. In other words, um, you army pick your best person. We'll pick our best person. We'll fight. One of us will die, but not a whole bunch of, of our folks will die. And whoever wins, they take all. And so that's the, that's the way the battle's being set up, right? Right there in the, in the heart of, of 1 Samuel. And so, like, Philistines pick the giant Goliath, who, um, as we could calculate it, is, is most likely one foot taller than the largest human that we have recorded in recorded history. Uh, Israel is holding on a hill above, but they've been scared by Goliath's taunting. They've been scared by his size. They're all looking at each other to see who's actually going to stand off against him, but nobody wants to stand off against him. Nobody, at least until now. And, and so I just want to pick up um, on verse 24 of 1 Samuel 17. We're just going to kind of walk through it. I'll share with you when I'm giving you scripture versus when I'm giving you a little commentary to kind of think and pray about, but want us to, to spend some time in that. So again, verse uh, 24, and this is the message version of the scriptures, and I'll tell you why I'm using that today for just, in just a minute. The, the Israelites, uh, to a man, they, they fell back the moment they saw this giant. They were all totally frightened. Like the talk among the troops were, well, have you ever seen anything like this? I mean, this man openly and defiantly challenging Israel. This man who, like any man who kills the giant, man, they'll have it made. Like the king will give him like a huge reward, will offer his daughters a bride, will give his entire family a free ride. Verse 26, David, who was talking to the men standing around him, asked, well, what's in it for the man who kills the Philistine and gets rid of this ugly blot on Israel's honor? Well, like, who does he think he is anyway? This, like, uncircumcised Philistine, like, taunting the armies of the living God. And, and they told him what everyone was saying about what the king would actually do for the person who had killed the Philistine. But for 40 days... They just listened to the taunting and nobody had stepped forward. So just a note here, right? Like, the, like I hope you caught this, that the, that the man that would kind of step up in battle here and would defend kind of the honor of Israel would receive, um, they believed, three benefits. Number one, riches. Uh, number two, Saul's daughter in marriage. And his extended family would be free from taxation. Would that be worth you fighting Goliath to be free from taxation? It, it just might be, right? So uh, verse 28, so Elib, his older brother, heard David fraternizing with the men and he just lost his temper. 
And he said, like, what are you doing here? Like, why aren't you minding your own business, tending that scrawny flock of sheep that you came from? I mean, I know what you're up to here. Like, you've come down here to see the sights, hoping for a ringside seat at a bloody battle. And Paul's there just for another note. So, like, what do you, what do you hear in that? What do you hear in that? I hear some sibling rivalry. Uh, I don't know if you have brothers or sisters, but if you have brothers or sisters, did you ever fight? Did you ever fight? I think I've told you guys this before, but the last physical fight my brother and I had, uh, I, I won every physical, physical, physical altercation that we had up to that moment. But the last one, he put me through a wall, like physically put me through a wall. And we haven't physically fought since that day. Imagine that. <laughs> Imagine that. I'm, I'm sometimes a slow learner, but I do eventually get there. So, um, so anyway, like it's almost like this older brother is telling this younger brother, like you do not belong here. It's almost like the older brother, you know, kind of bowing up, putting the younger brother in his place. And who knows his exact motives for doing that. It could have been jealousy that David was on a path to be close to the king in a way that, that Elib wasn't. It could have been out of protection. We just don't really exactly know. But, but here's what we know, though. In one way or another, like, we find that there's this moment where the older brother is confronting the younger brother and saying, hey, you're needed back home, so get your tail back there. Pick up in verse 29. What is it with you, replies David to his brother? Like, all I did was ask a question. Ignoring his brother, he turned to someone else, he asked the same question, and he got the same answers before. And the things that David was saying were picked up and somehow reported all the way back to, to King Saul. And so Saul sent for him, right? So one way or another, the word got back to Saul, whether like David wanted that word to get back to Saul or not, it's a whole other scenario. But, um, but it got back to the king. And for the first time, the king has got a viable option of somebody who actually wants to go uh, to fight for him and, and, and Israel and their honor. And there's a question here, right, about the fact that normally it might be the king that would step up. Uh, normally it would, might, would be the king that would step up. But in this case, he seems excited about the possibility, right, of letting a kind of a, you know, maybe a little bit older at this point in time, a 10 to 15-year-old uh, Daniel to step up. So uh, verse 32, Master, said David, like, don't give up hope. I'm ready to go and fight this Philistine. Saul answered David, you cannot go and fight this battle. You're too young and too inexperienced. And he's been at this fighting business since before you were born. Did, did anybody ever tell you you were too young and too inexperienced for something that you knew you were ready for? really frustrated you? Anybody? Um, anybody find themselves in that place? Verse 34. So David says, you know, I've been a shepherd. I've been tending sheep for my father. Like whenever a lion or a bear would, would come up, like try to take a lamb from the flock, I'd, I'd go after it. Like I'd knock it down. I'd, I'd rescue the lamb. If it turned on me, I'd grab it by the throat. Like I'd kind of wring its neck. I'd kill it. A lion or a bear, it made no difference. I just took care of it. I killed it. And, and I'll do the same to this Philistine pig who is taunting the troops of the living God. God who delivered me from the teeth of the lion and the claws of the bear will deliver me from this Philistine. 
So then Saul says, well, go on and, and may God help you. Now, like, it's a shepherd boy, right? Not the king who's going to, like, represent Israel on the battlefield and, and show this kind of faith and trust in Yahweh. It says a lot. It's really important. It's an important part of the story. Uh, it also says maybe something about Saul's kind of resignation to allow David to fight. Just kind of another potential indication of his fear. Again, fear that all of us deal with. But in this moment, um, what the nation seems to need, right, is some courage and some trust and some faith in, in God and the fact that God is going gonna, is gonna to provide. So uh, at this particular moment, I want you to think with me. Do you, do you remember how Goliath was dressed for battle? Like the three-word summary of that is he was big and bold and the way he was dressed was expensive. Like here's a flashback, right, of something that we actually tackled last week. A champion named Goliath was from Goth. He came to Philistine camp and his uh, like height was this and he had a bronze helmet on his head and he wore like this scale, uh, coat of scale armor of, of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. That sounds like a lot, doesn't it? Um, and we might actually even have a picture of this. I'm not totally sure if we do, Salt Team. On his legs, uh, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was like slung up on his back. And his spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and, and its iron kind of point weighted 600 shekels. His uh, shield bearer, who was also decked out, went ahead of him. Like, can you get the, the sense of, like, the size of the javelin? Can you get a sense of, like, all of these shekels and the weighted armor um, that would certainly protect this giant from potentially a whole army of people? Like, it wouldn't be just protecting him from, like, this small boy that was now going to fight him. It was, like, more about him being able to be in any battle and to, to be really protected, um, personal story really quickly, but I remember that I had this really good friend growing up. Uh, and I remember that we liked to play basketball together. We played on some of the school teams together. And I remember that um, he was uh, like all about Carolina. And then when Michael Jordan went to the Chicago Bulls, he, like a lot of folks, were just incredible Chicago Bull fans. They were just super excited about that and like thought that Jordan was like the greatest thing since sliced bread. I, being a Duke fan, could not have made that statement at that time. But again, give all due respect to, uh, to Mr. Jordan. But what I remember about this guy, what I remember about this guy is that he had, I remember him, he had a job. I remember this family didn't have a whole lot of money, but I remember he had a job and he spent almost all the money that he could get his hands on, on Air Jordan everything. Like Air Jordan, like the newest pair of Jordan shoes. Like, um, you know, I don't remember if you remember the jogging pants that, uh, that, that Jordan would wear, especially when he went to the Bulls. Uh, just like Air Jordan, everything was just always completely decked out. And to put it, like to put it above, like it's a true story, but to put it even above what like you might imagine. Like when he played guard, he had the Jordan tongue wag down. I won't try to repeat this for you. I would not do it justice. But, but literally it's a thing where like the tongue goes from like way out, the tongue goes from one side to another to another. And I, I don't know if that was meant to be a distracting thing or whatever, but I mean, Jordan did it and he did quite well with it. But, but here's the problem though with my friend. There's a problem with my friend is he absolutely looked the part. He had the best equipment money could buy. He even had the tongue wagged down. But did he play like Michael Jordan? Absolutely not. Like, he was okay, but like, absolutely not. He didn't have Jordan's speed. He didn't have Jordan's shot. He didn't have Jordan's defense. 
So a lot of, a lot of, that's like a lot of folks forget how great Jordan was at defense. Well, it didn't have Jordan's skill. Really good dude. But no matter how much he dressed like Michael Jordan, it did not make him play like Michael Jordan because the best equipment in the world can only do so much, right? Can only do so much. So the next part of this story in 1 Samuel, um, after like the former part told us a little bit about how Goliath is decked out, uh, it's David's turn. And in verse 38, we get uh, a sense of how David's decked out. So here it is. Saul outfitted David as a soldier in armor. I want you to think about like this pretty little kid who is still waiting on one growth spurt, maybe two, but he's putting on this adult armor, this bronze helmet on his head and belted his sword on him over the armor. And David tried to walk, but he could hardly budge. And David told Saul, like, I I can't even move with all this stuff on me. I am not going to use that. And so he just took it all off. Like, note here, he stripped down to his standard attire, which is something he was comfortable wearing, a a, a tunic and a belt, and and he decides to meet heavy infantry with light artillery. He's going to grab hold of a sling and some stones, which is like substantively more mobile and can give a bit of an advantage to somebody who had a different level of flexibility on on the field. And so I share that with you to say that what David continues to um, articulate here is that he's going to be led by the Holy Spirit to have wisdom to be able to do something that seems impossible. Something that in human terms could never be done. But, but somehow that God's going to give him the wisdom to do what needs to be done. And so, like, sure enough, uh, verse 40, then David took his shepherd's staff, he selected five smooth stones from the brook, and he put them in the pocket of his shepherd's pack, and with his sling in his hand, he approaches Goliath. And I want you to think about that sling. I mean, we think about a sling as a, as a toy, right? Or at least I think about a sling as a toy. I remember getting in trouble with one of those as a kid, like depending on, I thought about today having one of those and putting ping pong balls in it and popping them out to you. But again, I'm trying to use better judgment. I'm, I'm trying, I, I really am trying. I got a long way to go, but I, I'm trying to pull it in to, you know, trying to pull it in a little bit. I, I love how Mac, uh, Malcolm Gladwell, he makes this, uh, this really interesting observation uh, about the battle in his book, David and Goliath, Underdogs, Misfits, and the Art of Battling Giants. And Um, He says that, you know, we can really kind of focus on the fact that David is outsized. He's got this unorthodox choice of weapon. He's going to face this and slay this lumbering giant, he says. In other words, like most people underestimate the importance of agility and speed, he says. Gladwell in this article from Inc. Magazine says this, this is him talking. He says, I was struck by like how often when successful people describe their lives that they would talk about the things that went wrong or the things that were hard as opposed to the things that were easy and went right. I just invite you to sit in that for just a second. I decided to do another version of this question, but, but starting with like people's stories and looking at this question, to what extent can disadvantages be advantageous and vice versa? And so first, David's sling is a devastating weapon. 
It doesn't look that devastating, does it? But devastating uh, weapon in biblical times. It's one of the most like feared weapons in the ancient world because the stone that comes from the sling has the stopping power equivalent to a bullet coming out of a 45 caliber pistol. It's a serious weapon. Can also get up underneath and around any kind of armor, right? Because it's small. And second, there are many medical experts who believe that Goliath was suffering from this uh, this eye disease that I can't even begin to pronounce. Which, um, which, like when you grow, it causes you to grow. But one of the disadvantages of growing that tall is that you tend to have really challenged eyesight. And so many giants, well, they would have this, and a side effect would be they would have restricted sight. They could oftentimes see what was right in front of them, but not anything else around them. And if you think about some of the like extraordinarily tall people that you might have seen on TV or or read about in your life, quite often they'll have eye problems. I never really had thought about that. But Goliath and the biblical story does, if you look closely, like sound like a guy who who can't see very well. So he's he's kind of arrogant. He's like pretty immobile and, and he potentially like can't can't see really well as he's weighted down with this armor. Like I know we're kind of just thinking through some of that, but David had nimbleness. David changed the rules of the battle and he brought in like a superior technology in that moment. I want you to think about the wisdom of those things that David absolutely said over and over again had to come from God. Uh, Let's finish up this part of the story. Verse 41. As the Philistine paced back and forth, his shield bearer in front of him, he noticed David and he took one look down at him and he sneered. And he's like a mere boy, like apple-cheeked and peach fuzz. Really? (laughs) I love love the message. Isn't that great? And, And the Philistine ridiculed David. Like, am I a dog that you come after me with a stick? And he cursed him by his gods. Come on, said the Philistine. Like, I'll make roadkill of you for the buzzards. And I'll turn you into a toasty morsel for the field mice. Or rats. <laughs> that if you tickle them, they'll laugh. Okay, not in the Bible, just <laughs> last minute edition. <laughs> Verse 45. Uh, David answered, you come at me with a sword and spear and battle axe. But I come at you in the name of the God of the angel armies. That's why I like the message version of this story. Not a powerful description of God. Can I invite you to think about that description for just a minute? Like God of the angel armies, in other words, God that is drawing upon resources that we can't even possibly imagine. God that is making those resources available and accessible to us in ways we can't even possibly have dreamed, asked for, or imagined. I come at you in the name of the God of of the angel armies. And, well, like the God of Israel's troops, whom you curse and mock, and this very day God is handing you over to me, and I'm about to kill you, uh, and I'm about to, like, cut off your head and, like, serve up your body and the bodies of, the, of your Philistine buddies to the crows and the coyotes. Just, I'm, I'm like David's so timid in this moment, isn't he, when he's saying these things? He's so timid. That was a joke. He's absolutely not timid. He is courageous and he's confident because he believes the battle has already been won. He believes he just needs to be faithful to bringing this particular battle to completion. The whole earth will know that there's an extraordinary God in Israel after this moment. 
And everyone gathered here will learn that God doesn't save by means of sword or spear, that the battle belongs to God. And God is handing you to us on a platter. Nobody, friends, after this particular battle, if David could possibly even make a dent, could say that somehow it was in his own wisdom and strength to be able to pull that off, that this would have to be a miracle beyond human proportions and would just simply need to be able to be attributed to the fact that God was with him. Verse 48, that roused the Philistine. He started towards David. David took off from the front line, running towards the Philistine. And David reached in his pocket for a stone and he slung it and he hit the Philistine hard in the forehead, embedding the stone deeply. And he crashed face down in the dirt. And that's how David beat the Philistine with a sling and a stone. And he hid him and, well, he killed him uh, and didn't even have a sword. Now, next week, like, summarize the rest of the story. And I want to talk to you about like these smooth stones and, and um, this particular slingshot and, and kind of how each and every one of us have something like that, um, that God has gifted us with and what might that be like. But what I want to invite you to do in this moment is um, I just want to invite you to pray with us. Um, I'm going to help the praise team uh, lead us in a second to closing song and then we'll close with a song. And I just want to invite you to think and pray about ways that you are encountering some kind of battle that feels like that the opposition is larger than the persistence and the perseverance that's inside of you. I mean, you think about how broad that is. That could be a health circumstance. It could be something you're dealing with legally. It could be like monetary concerns. It could be stuff going on in the life of the church. It could just be a whole lot of different things. We need to think about for just a minute about the fact that we just like opened the service talking about the fact that we believe, um, we believe in a Christ that's resurrected. Like we believe in a Christ that's, that's resurrected, that like came back to life. We believe in a God that has done some amazing and incredible things. And like we know few people have the imagination for reality but when something is preparing to advance God's purpose, we have to question whether God is underneath it. We have to question whether God is like on top of it. We don't have to question whether God is kind of pushing it from behind or lifting it from, from up underneath. That like God finds a way where there is no way. And God's simply longing to um, like help find folks that are willing to step on a battlefield where it looks like loss is inevitable and to be able to have the victory declare and reveal that God is victorious all the time. Amen to that? Like that's not preacher talk, friends. That's life. That the battle has already been won. Like how much confidence, I'm not talking about arrogance, how much confidence and courage can we have in our heart and in our life when we face anything that we feel confident advances and glorifies God's will, that we have the opportunity to step into that battle and celebrate the gift of a God who's already declaring victory.
Thanks for joining the Long's Chapel Message Podcast. If you connected in any way with us via this podcast, we invite you to connect further by either leaving a rating and review down below or contacting us via our church website at longschapel.com. Here at Long's Chapel, we believe in worshiping and serving God by reaching people and growing together as passionate followers of Jesus Christ because all people matter to God. See you next week.